Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know Just what you've done You're listening to Stop Child Abuse Now, SCAN, radio show number 3124. That's 3,000 radio shows. This show is brought to you by NASCA, the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse, N-A-A-S-C-A dot org. And I'm going to read the mission statement of the organization. We have a single purpose at NASCA, to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so with only two goals. One educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, CSA. Presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. And two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse, and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have a question and answer call-in discussion. And since today is Thursday, We're going to invite you to call in and participate in tonight's show, ask questions and talk. The number for you to call is 646-595-2118. I'll repeat that, 646-595-2118. And Victoria will answer the phone and get you set up and you can join us here on the show. Our co-guest is Teresa Anderson from Minnesota, a teacher who will talk about the children she's known to have exhibited excuse me, symptoms of child abuse and trauma. Her job makes her required as mandated reporter of any suspicion of child abuse. Teachers are among those who, because they're in the front line with kids and are likely to notice 
not only physical marks, but changes in a child's behavior or attitude, people in healthcare, foster care, law enforcement, and other careers who come in direct contact with children up to 18 years old are also mandated reporters. We'll find out how Teresa has been trained to recognize abuse and what she's been told to do about reporting it. And with that, I'm going to introduce Teresa. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for coming. May I ask what level you teach? I do teach high school level. High school, um, I have a variety of kids from uh, grades 9 through 12. And what subject? Um, I mostly teach business and marketing courses, and then I also work as an instructional coach. Um, so I work with teachers in helping them be effective in the classroom. Wonderful. Business and marketing. Yeah. I wish I had learned some of that in high school. Oh, it's critical. We're eager to hear what you have to say. And so without further ado, you can just start talking, if that's okay. Okay. Um, so I think maybe my background is a, is a little bit different than most teachers. I worked in business uh, for the better part of 15 plus years and then um, realized that there was an opportunity to reach kids at a younger age to help them uh, be successful in becoming adults and in becoming citizens and so I went back and got my teaching licenses and then I've um, got a doctorate in education and then um, have further pursued what we call a, a parent teacher coach um, certification and this is really focused on uh, working with families um, to help kids thrive um, and we've we've been trained in uh, trauma responses and I'm really honored to be able to bring this to the schools um, in my work so a lot of my time is spent teaching us uh, teaching teachers how to um, connect with students how to understand where they're coming from how to read behaviors how to understand attunement um, and understanding that it's all about respectfully addressing the child's needs, the child's true feelings. Um, and that helps schools and educators and students all thrive. Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds really wonderful. I just have to put in that my sister just earned her um, um, doctorate in education, in nursing education. I'm so proud. She just earned it oh, a couple wonderful. days ago. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely so need more people in education who are focused on caregiving. Right. Yeah, I want I want the person teaching nurses to be a really good teacher because I want nurses <laughs> to really know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. 
And I want teachers to know what they're doing, too. So that's great that you're teaching teachers. Yes. Yep. So it's a it's a gift. <laughs> it's a privilege to be able to do this. So. And and when you so what, teach what teachers, kind of training then? Who um, what what is kind of the the basis of the training? Because uh, just like I said, there's a lot of people that during our different discussions with other guests, we uh, we wonder what's going on today. Because back when we were kids, I'm 61. Back when we were kids, yeah. you know, a lot of a lot of the teachers knew about abuse, but um, they know how to accuse the kids of abuse, but they just kind of would turn their head, I guess, um, and just kind of like, you know, that's a family problem, and you know, we're not getting involved. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know that um, that was how things were handled, and I I, I don't believe that. I can only speak for what I see. Um, so from my perspective, that is not how things are handled today. Um, the hard part is, yes, we are mandated reporters. Um, however, um, it, it's trickier than that because once it's reported, there's no follow through requirement. So teachers don't often know if it's gone anywhere. Um, and our our main goal, um, Let's see, there's like layers deep of this. We also understand that um, sometimes calling home to talk about a student's um, behaviors is not effective and it could be actually detrimental to a child. So we talk a lot about what is the, um, when the student's at school, what is it that we can do to help them address their emotions or understand what their true feelings are that are coming through. Without punishment, we understand that the child's body is affected by their emotional input um, from the educators that are surrounding them. Um, we believe that the greatest human need is to be needed and that the overarching goal of every child is to feel lovable. These are some of the tenets of the training that we work with. And we, um, Try to approach it from the holistic child approach. If a child doesn't have the Maslow's components in place of physiological safety, food, um, clothing, the basics, and then safety being the next level of it, there is no belonging or um, opportunity for achievement. It has to come in that order. Um, so teachers are taking a a bit of a different role in, um, we think, even in some instances, serving almost as the primary caregiver. They spend so much time at school um, that teachers are doing everything they can while the students are with them. Um, the hard part is we don't know what happens always when we send them out or if we do call in a report, um, there's sometimes um, no requirement for a follow-up. Um, we always hope that the student is getting the support that they need. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's it takes a village, and we know that there are um, at least six generations of trauma that have come before this. And mm -hmm. if we're going to heal the world, we really have to 
start with the kids that are in front of us. And um, uh, I know that everybody listening probably is very aware of the ACEs study um, and understanding how ACEs affect the well-being of not only the the person experiencing the ACEs, but their entire community, the surrounding bull, that all of the network um, that that person is in touch with. But what I think is is promising and why I really believe in doing this work and doing it well is that we have learned that PCEs or positive childhood interactions or experiences can mitigate the uh, effects of the adverse childhood experiences for a kid. It takes one person to be that one light for them, that one person to provide the support, that one person to see them, hear them, love them, validate them. Um, and so um, having a background uh, of a high ACE score, I can, I can say that there were teachers or um, relatives or um, neighbors even that speak into um, different portions or elements or experiences in my life. And that has allowed me to become um, a thriving adult who now is able to help others look for those opportunities to be the PCE, the positive childhood experience that some of these kids really need. So, Teresa, um, um, some people, because we've got listeners at all levels, um, may not be aware of the, the ACEs that you were talking about. Um, could you just give a brief uh, overview of what that is and, and how it helps um, people? And if what... Um, um, do you do that directly with the kids, or is it just something that you have the background in? No, um, it's something I have the background in. So there was a study. Oh, um, I'm not going to have the exact information. It was several years ago. Um, uh, it was called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. Um, it's been linked. Um, there are many authors. The Deepest Well is a great book that kind of correlates the um, negative experience. So it's, it's like various forms of physical, emotional abuse, neglect, household dysfunction, any types of experiences that happened in childhood. And the harms from these last into adulthood. Um, linked with various health conditions, um, heart issues, um, mental disorders, toxic stress, um, neurological changes. Um, uh, so it can have really severe impacts on the physical and mental health of an individual. Um, the study itself, is, it's like, it, it's old and, um, um, it's been like repeated multiple times. I, it, it, um, you, there's so much information and literature about it, and I am not. Um, oh, that's okay. That's okay. It's it. however for people that kind of understand, yeah. um, you know. And I know you are teaching in Minneapolis, and 
I know in the bigger cities there's there's a lot of gun violence and just violence in the streets and gangs and all that. And I think that's part of it too, isn't it? Oh, Not for just sure. Yeah. Nope. It's uh it's all the different forms of toxic stress. And when stress builds up in the body, it doesn't. It's it's stored in the actual t- tissues of um, mm-hmm. an individual's body, and it comes out. However, it comes out, and it's usually not um, – it, it's not directly identifiable with, oh, you had a traumatic past. <laughs> so yeah. it comes out sideways, and um, we're just at the cusp of really understanding how to um, heal from trauma. Yeah. I really think we I know have a to go. Yeah. That trauma also changes, changes the brain. Um, you know, they've done studies on, on change, the changes in the brain because there's a lot of us that talk about as survivors of abuse, which I am of both areas um, of a survivors of child abuse, um, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, that, that our brain changed. And, you know, we always felt yeah. that we were crazy. You know, growing up, we thought we, you know, not, not any, I don't know, but I, you know, a lot of survivors of talk just felt like they were crazy and they, they didn't know why they were reacting certain ways, like maybe, you know, um, you know, just for me, it was always being afraid, you know, and not being able to trust anybody and, you know, sure. authorities never helped me. So, you know, I didn't trust them. And my family said, don't talk to strangers. Well, strangers were <laughs> teachers, police officers, you know, people that could actually maybe help me, you know, sure. and, uh, you know, to keep that silence in the, in the family. Um, and, and that so could have that, been your PCE, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I tell people, too, and I've worked with a lot of survivors, that there was one person in my life, they might name a teacher, they might name a neighbor, they might name an aunt, or whatever, you know. And um, that that's the whole thing that I like what you said about there, you know, there might be that just one person in a kid's life. And it can make all the difference yep. in the world. And then I've talked it to really other people. Yeah, survivors that will say, um, um, you know, school is my refuge, you know, because when I went to school, I wasn't being hurt at home. And we found out that 85% of kids that are abused with child abuse and neglect um, is in the home. And when I was growing up, it was stranger danger. It was a creepy guy behind the bushes. And, you know, I never saw him, but I was sure abused a lot by a lot of different people. And and that was family members, and it was neighbors and it was friends of the family you know and it wasn't that creepy man behind the behind the bushes you know yeah so often it's someone yeah. that's known mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so it's a it's a it's a tricky fine line for educators we do have you know our our role and and our lane to stay in so to speak however knowing that we have um uh, the most time contact with the kids, if we can get them in school, we know that we can can be a place of refuge um, a lot of a lot of times it's it's understanding um, do they have a place they can go? do they have you know asking some of those questions in addition to making sure that our supports are in place and then you get into the, okay, well, um, 
the labeling of the, the child. And I think you said something about being labeled as crazy. Um, and the labels range from kids just sulky and grumpy to, you know, they are, maybe they are labeled as crazy or um, uh, stupid or can't learn or, um, and then we even assign um, medical uh, technical terms, you know, if, if a child is labeled as not ha having a learning disability um, or um, one that My son was diagnosed with ADHD and there was a certain time all the kids got up in the middle of the class and any kid that was on Ritalin would get up a certain time and go to the nurse's office, you know, nothing like mm -hmm. let's point them out, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that, that took a big toll. And then I was one that wouldn't speak up in class, even if I knew the answer, I wouldn't raise my hand because I was, right. you know, always doubting myself and I was teased by other kids. And I know a lot of, we've been having some um, um, guests on that have been talking about um, being teased in school and the bullying and all that. And so, um, you know, back when I was a kid, they didn't do nothing. They just were, well, you know, some kids are bullied and some kids are the boys, you know, and it's kind of the way life is, you know, and they'll just have to learn nope. to deal with it. Or, you know. Nope. Nope. That can't happen. Um, and it's not, there's, there's, there's even, um, let's see if I can succinctly describe it. There's uh, in some schools that appear to be really high performing and that kind of thing doesn't happen outright where they're not picking at them or taking their lunch or that type of laughing out loud or making obvious statements in front of a teacher, for example. They're more behind the scene type of bullying. Um, a lot of times what we're seeing now in schools is what we're labeling as academic bullying. So uh -huh. if you're in an on-grade level course or below, then you're not, you're in the lower end of the spectrum. You're not, you're not right. as advanced as the smart kids. Um, and then a lot of times it's, what did you get on this test? I got this type of behavior. Um, so we've even had to like be on the lookout for that type of conversation. Um, yeah. So Grading we've, also become... had, we've also had survivors that said, I really excelled in school um, because that's, that's where, like, I felt safe, you know, and I really yeah. excelled in school because I felt I had to be perfect, you know, and, and I wonder if those kids are identified as well. Yeah, that becomes part of your identity then. And that's yeah. not healthy I... either. <laughs> Well, that's, that's the whole thing is that, you know, there's, there's just different ways. And, you know, a lot of kids might, might, might say at 13 start getting sexually abused, say, in the home. And uh, right. um, all of a sudden, so you notice, uh, hopefully you're noticing, too, the, the changes in, in the child that, you know, they might be real happy-go-lucky and stuff, and then all of a sudden one day they're just, they come in and they're just, you know, feel like – um, I just want to say mentally tossed around, you know. Sure. Yeah. So, for sure. Yeah, yeah we're we are um, 
trained isn't the right word. We're, we're, um, I guess, modeled, the, the whole model of what we do, in, at least in the schools that I've been a part of, is to mm-hmm. build relationships first. Uh, create that belonging, um, help them find peers that they can connect with. We look for uh, friendships, people that they're talking to outside of the classroom. We have to be very aware of uh, any type of change. So if they come in one day and they're really tired, we really monitor that. If if they come in the next day and they're really wound up or... um, Mm -hmm look like they've been, you know, up all night, um, yeah. we monitor that. We have to, it, the changes aren't, like, obvious. It's not like they come in one day and they're fine yeah. and the next day it's, like, really obvious. Right. It's, it's right. a series of, you know, they've been wearing that same sweatshirt for three days. Yeah. Yeah. Or they've well, been. My, my um, grandparents. Um, would drink quote just on the weekends, you know, and but but you know Saturday and Sunday nights they'd they'd have me up really late, and so the only days that I was real sleeper were Monday mornings, you know, and and I'd fall sure. asleep at my dad, you know, and they'd be you know trying to wake me up and stuff, but nobody thought to wonder why that one day a week <laughs> I was sleeping, and then also um, on Tuesday. Um, Annie and I had a guest that was talking about bullying and was saying that um, in the school, as well as the kids that were bullying, the, the teacher was joining in um, the, mm. the bullying, and the wow. other teachers were afraid to say anything because they were afraid of getting bullied by that teacher or the other teachers that were, you know, bullying. Yeah, that was right Yeah. So there was, like, no help. Wow. Again, I I just I'm so sad that that is that is how it was before, and I have yeah. to believe that we're we're getting better um, mm-hmm. because otherwise the cycle just continues and we have to stop the cycle. Well, say and there is a teacher that you realize picking on a kid or or kind of joining, and and I know it's a whole different generation now with the with the everything's online and internet and kids are being bullied over the social media. Yep. Um, it, yep. It's a whole new world, and I know you're a parent too, and uh, um, you know your kids are a little bit older, so they probably, you know, I don't know if they went through that whole internet thing. I'm trying to figure out when all that started, but um, yeah, uh, they're um, they're, uh, mm-hmm. they're from that generation. They've had a phone in their hands since they were in. Well, for my kids, it was middle school, but mm-hmm. it's. It's very real, and, you know, it's constant. They can't shut it off. And the hardest thing I think I've ever had to to deal with is losing a student to suicide. And it's the one thing that, you know, we all wonder, could we have done more? Was it noticed? Did who who and how and where do we intervene and it might not have been if that happens in school to a child and, and say the kids know about it whatever that that child died of suicide um is that talked about is that 
something that, um, you know, some kids might get together and um, the teacher might or the school may intervene and, and say, hey, let's talk about this. And We do, yes, but it's, it's handled very carefully. Um, uh, we definitely have trauma and um, grief counselors available for all the students, and um, it's not, like, shoved under the rug. Um, however, we have to be careful that it doesn't become a badge of honor that other students want to replicate, if that makes sense. It can't be talked about in a way that makes it um, look like... um, It's desirable. I don't know. Yeah. Get it. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. It's it's really... It's a fine line. And you don't know where every kid is. If you've got a school of 2,000 students, every single one of them is processing it based on their own backgrounds and their own experiences and their own um, emotions and right. awareness of what's happening in their world. Yeah. And their connection and then, like, to that. We had, we had like, uh, counselors, but they were more, like, academic type, you know, um, um, if you want to even call it a counselor. But I know that now they have um, like kind of a, um, I don't even know what it's called, but a psychiatric, they, um, if a child's having problems or whatever, they can, they can go to somebody at the school if they're having an emotional yep. problem. So that's something yeah, that we is definitely, openly yep. offered to kids. Is, is yes. it something that is assigned? I mean, can they go on their own, I guess? There are therapists available. There's a psychologist available. They can, um, we also have um, referrals and services. We have um, our deans are the academic role, but they are also, uh, a lot of them are also certified um, therapists. So um, the supports are there. Now, honestly, it's really hard to know whether the kids that need them are actually going to them. I know I know far too many kids that we send and they're like, no, that's not going to help me. However, they really need someone to talk to. Yeah. Um, so it, it's really hard because you can't force them, right? No. Um, but you, but you can, can refer them. And you can yep, say, you can hey, definitely we refer them. them. Right. We have a cool project. Uh, I think it was started in, in a, on a campus in Wisconsin. Um, because I know that you mentioned the word taboo about talking about any type of, I would say any type of adverse childhood experiences, um, whatever they may be, it could be abuse, it could be bullying, it could be um, just uh, needing depression, anxiety, whatever. Um, we have a green bandana that is uh, tied onto our bag or our I, uh, item of clothing, um, and students and teachers, educators are trained in this, and if you want to be a part of it, you can go through the training, and then you get to have the green bandana, which says, I'm a safe person to come talk to about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. We've gone through different forms of training. We have cards that we carry with, you know, crisis hotlines on them, um, and then of course, we follow the proper procedures if there is any type of mandated reporting that's associated with it. But even just for mental health issues, um, we have 
who to refer them to, who, that, how to how to help a kid who's in immediate need, um, how to walk them down to the therapist's office or uh-huh. get them. And we've often, not often, but uh, in some of those situations, it may result in a in a welfare check. Um, mm-hmm. If we're concerned about that student's well-being, we may have our school resource officer go check on them. And I know that there's a lot of um, conversation about having police in schools, but mm-hmm. I also know the benefit of having somebody there that knows the kids. So yeah. Um, Again, there's two sides to everything, right? At least two sides. <laughs> yeah. I would say there's three sides to every story. One side, the other side, and the truth. <laughs> the truth, yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and uh, um, I know, too, that um, there's um, uh, a lot of kids that um, their parents might want them to go to counseling. Um, you know, um, mm-hmm. there was a... Uh, a whole lot of option. Matter of fact, when I was in school, I was um, throwing up every morning and severe migraines, you know. Oh. And so I I stayed home one year, fifty or sixty three days one year, I think, from school. Oh. And my grandmother always wrote a note, you know. And uh, but they finally took me to the doctor because they found I had a brain tumor and kept me in the hospital for I don't know five days doing tests. And after that, mm-hmm. they said, well, she, what she really needs to do is, so apparently I was talking about some stuff, I don't know. And they said, what she really needs to do is see a psychiatrist, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember my grandma grabbing my hand and just pulled me out of there and going, she's not crazy, you know. Oh, <laughs> so I can remember a few days after that thinking, boy, maybe a psychiatrist would be good, you know. And so I just went <laughs> out my room and threw everything everywhere. I was screaming and yelling and flailing around. And, you know, I went sure. outside because it was so aggravated. And I came back in and here my grandma had cleaned my whole room. And <laughs> it was like oh, we goodness. never talked about it. <laughs> to keep it under wraps. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, and then actually the um, the um, I went into the counselor's office one time and they said, oh, we have a group. Um, and it met over at this one place, and the bus would take you there and then take you home, you know. And and so it was a it was a support group, and it, mostly it was for girls that um, were um, in like group homes, you know, because they had gotten in trouble or you know were sure. um, using prostitution or whatever. And so I was going to that group. Of course, I wasn't talking, but I was listening. You know, I I was soaking up mm-hmm. stuff, but. But I knew I wasn't supposed to go in there. I knew that there was, you know, no way that would be accepted. So, so I lied and said I had detention. <laughs> and that Aww. was okay. That was okay. But, you know, going to a counselor or going to a support group, that would have been okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. No, we um, definitely know that mental health support is a necessary yeah. thing. And if, if, more funding could go toward anything. I think it would be for that and to put yeah. parent coaches and mm-hmm. um, people who do what I do mm-hmm. to work with families um, in every school, every single school. Yeah. Well, I, I also work with a woman um, and know a woman that um, works with the uh, Minnesota Missing Children, and she's got three different age groups. 
of um, um, education for children, you know, and the younger ones are like a puppet show, and then the other ones I think called um, Beyond Stranger Danger, because, you know, and, and mm-hmm. then they have a parent support group, they have a high school education thing, but she said they don't, they don't go into the schools because a lot of the parents are objecting to it. So they do it. They do things in the community, say through the Lions Club or the, the police department, and you know gatherings and things like that for the kids. Um, I know that uh, a lot of parents are reluctant mm-hmm. to have their kids learn about, you know, because I've had even friends say, "Well, you know, I want my kid to remain innocent, but it's it's not really remaining <laughs> innocent; it's remaining not aware, naive, <laughs> yeah, yeah, vulnerable." Uh, and right, totally vulnerable. vulnerable. Yeah. And I think a lot yeah, of the parents are objecting are the ones that are abusive. <laughs> well, that, they're the ones who are probably, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it, not all you, of them, because some parents just don't, don't get it, that the education right. is, you know, more of a help well, than a hindrance. I think that's the benefit of like having a parent coach right it's somebody to say hey no you need to talk about this you need to talk about grief or or loss or you need to talk about um what it means to be vulnerable or what it what that that big emotion that you're having right now what that means or different just so parents could understand different forms of um um connecting with their child attunement, you know, being in the present moment, understanding what the parent-child healthy relationship looks like, that when a kid does something in school, that's not a a place for you as a parent to punish the child. It's punishment doesn't work. It's ineffective. Yeah, right, right. And And um, with every uh, interaction, parents and educators are either pushing their kids away or drawing them near. So it's understanding how that builds up over time and helping educators and parents stay in that present moment to, it's it's not when my parent, I, I hear so often, when I was a kid, if I would have done that, this is what would have happened to me. But that's not the, that's not effective. Right. It wasn't effective then. It's still not effective now. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then um, um, so you're talking about um, actually um, coaching parents. So is that like a, um, some kind of class you offer, or some kind of a um, way that you uh, intervene with parents? How does that quite work? Well, right now, uh, parents who are working with um, kids who are maybe struggling, and it doesn't have to do maybe has nothing to do with what they think is abuse or trauma of any type or sort. But again, every behavior is a readable signal. Um, and if, if your child is challenging, we'll just say any type of like, challenging, or if the teacher is seeing um, increasingly challenging behaviors in school, they're struggling to navigate the, the educational system or they're not having the success or the parents are um, dealing with um, uh, some of the (laughs) (laughs) 
they were like both wanting to be on my lap, and that wasn't happening. Um, so if if uh, uh, if a parent is struggling, they can contact me, and then we set up usually four sessions. The first one is an hour and a half, um, where we just kind of talk about what the brain-body connection is, how kids are processing information, um, what happens when they get um, that amygdala fires off and their thinking brain shuts down and how does trauma actually work in their body and why do they keep pushing my buttons as a, as a parent and right. why do they resist every time I tell them to get ready for bed and then in the, the following sessions we work through strategies and ways that we can help the parent yeah. be a support for their 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 child um Right. So we don't meet with the kids. We meet only with the parents. We figure we're the adults. We've got the fully developed brains. We should be the ones doing the the work. And then yeah. our and, job is and really that's how we believe that that every adult is responsible um, um, to protect every child. And of course, we're not talking about a legal moral. You know, we're talking about a moral obligation. Um, yeah. if, if you see something, say something, you know, because I know a lot of adults I've talked to that say, yeah, I knew the kid that was next door down the street that would, you know, be out in the cold with no shoes on, you know, and nobody, or they got hit all the time out in the yard or whatever, you know, and, sure. and you know, there was just, there was no intervention whatsoever. And I know that probably now is a lot more secretive <laughs> because people are reporting, um, but, but we always say if you see something, say something, because even though you might be afraid of, say, that adult or whatever, you've got to think about what that kid is living with. That kid has no no means a lot of times to get help, and you might be the only sure. one that is seeing yep. it that can intervene, say, be a family member or, you know, if a family member is seeing something, we've had a lot of um, adults that say, yeah, well, my my uh, aunt knew what was going on, or I told my mom, or I told somebody, you know, or I told teacher, whatever, and then it just went nowhere. And they stopped telling. You know, they, they might tell one person, and they didn't help, so, you know, who am I going to tell? Sure. Yeah, that's... <laughs> it's, my, it's, son, it's, my son was struggling in school, and um, so um, they decided they were going to do an IEP because those things first came out, you know. So I went to school. I said, we're doing an IEP. And I said, okay, that's great. And I was, I, he was diagnosed with ADHD. So, you know, I was going to these different classes to learn about it in the community. And, you know, so I had quite a bit of information. And they handed me this IEP. And I looked at it. And I went, yeah, I'm measuring if he does anything, you know, successful. If, you know, he's, he's doing any you know, better behavior or whatever you want to call it. And they said, well, no, we did an IEP. So I just went home and wrote my own. And I don't know how many pages it was. It's pretty thick. And I brought it back and I said, use this, <laughs> you know, and because and, it had just started coming about. And the teachers really didn't know what they were doing. And and I had more information on it than they did. And uh, so sometimes us as parents have to advocate for our children. Um, Absolutely. And so that, you know, um, and we could take a big part in being a part of our child's education. Matter of fact, we had one teacher that said, I wish all the parents were involved as much as you guys, you know, in, in wanting the best for your kids. 
and we were going to one therapist and and she says, um, she says, uh, I said, man, you mentioned pushing buttons. I said, my kids are always pushing my buttons. And she says, what you need to do is get button protectors. So what the hell is button protector? (laughs) And she says, well, you know, they're going to do this or that, you know, behavior or whatever. So just expect that's going to happen when you say, say, go to bed or, you know, we're not watching TV right now. We're doing homework, you know, <laughs> that, um, you know, and and already have, a, you know, say consequence, you know, not punishment, but consequence. Um, and, yeah, and you and know that consequences don't even work uh, anymore. So um, uh-huh. really? we're finally getting to the point where we're, we're um, teaching parents to be uh, proactive so that they don't have to be an interventionist. So rather than being um, on the constant lookout waiting for the next button to be pushed, we teach them ways to prevent any type of issues. And I think that is the most important message that I want every school to have is that behaviors won't happen if you can put preventive responses in place. Then there's no need or discussion for what are the consequences, what is the discipline. Because when we think about a kid – there's there's two ways we can look at a kid. We can look at a kid and say, oh, my gosh, they're bad. They're misbehaving. They're doing something wrong. And then our bodies and brains as an adult automatically go to what's the punishment, what's the consequence. If we instead right. look at a child and say that kid is having a hard time responding or that kid needs support or they're struggling with something, then our brain automatically converts to what is it that I can do to support him or her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I realized the the fact when my daughter was, I don't know, four years old, she had a raggedy end all, you know, and she picked it up by the nap of the neck and, and started going around the house. They go, no, 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 to everything she couldn't touch or everything else, you know, off limits or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I went, wow. And so for every no, you know, I said, I made sure I said three positives or gave her choices, you know, but I went, I went to parenting groups, you know. And my grandmother said, why are you going to parenting groups? I said, because I'm only going to be a parent, you know. And, and she yeah. says, well, I never went to parenting groups. He turned out just fine. And I thought, there oh, it yeah, is. I've been yeah. Yeah. Psychiatric <laughs> that's, that's fine, all right. So now I say fine is effed up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional, fine. You know, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> you, know. <laughs> you know, and then also I, I was with an organization called Whisper, Women Hurt and Systems of Prostitution Engaged in Revolt. We had an opinion. And uh, um, anyway, I'd been used in uh, pornography and uh, prostitution. And so um, I was going to schools out in Minneapolis doing a juvenile prostitution prevention project. And, um, you know, they loved me coming in because mostly it was the school that already had a lot of kids with, you know, as they label behavior problems, you know, as special schools. And, and they had no trouble me coming in because I'd come in and all the teachers would take out and they, and they didn't mind that break. Plus, we were doing it for free, you know. But, um, oh. but it, was, it was really enlightening for the teachers that did stick around. Matter of fact, I had one teacher said, did you see that girl that was looking at that guy? You know, we know that, that you know, he's her pimp. And I thought, you know it? You know, yeah, that's nice that you know it. <laughs> you know, well, and, and it was kind of well, just there. Yeah. 
that's that's yeah. I, I think you're you're hitting on the really key point. We are not our parents. We're not being we're not from the same generation. We know better. We can do better. If we know better, we need to do better. Um, right. And what worked for them actually didn't work. And here we are, multiple generations later, trying mm-hmm. to heal and help our kids heal. And it gets passed on from one generation to the next, even if there's no continuation of the abuse. So right. it stays right. in the cells. It goes from grandmother to mother to child <laughs> and right mm-hmm. on down the line. So um, if we don't put the repairs in place, the changes to the brains and the bodies can become permanent. And we don't want that to happen because that is not, that, that's that's not okay. We know yeah. the, the ramifications of that. The body keeps the score is the yep. classic book that we know. Oh, that is a good book. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, and again, you know, the deepest well supported all of that information and um, why we as adults are seeing so many physiological health issues. Right. Right. I know that my my, you know, being raised by my grandparents, you know, like that was, you know, two generations of, you know, sure. uh, separation. Yeah. And uh, I can yeah. remember them on my first birthday, I can remember I asked my mom, why did you send us away? And she, first of all, said, well, I had a feeling you were in danger, you know. Well, her, her feeling or intuition or whatever you want to call it um, was right on. Um, I ended up in a state psychiatric hospital and went back to my grandparents and said, you know, because I was crawling around on the floor and I'd end up in a corner and I'd be shaking and whimpering and all this stuff. When as an adult, mm-hmm. you know, my kids were little and, and so, you know, it was like I knew something happened, but I wasn't sure. So I went back and asked my grandmother. I said, I got a question. And they were both sitting there, but I was directly to my grandmother because my grandfather probably wouldn't have said nothing. And I said, you know, this is what's going on. Was I like with this when I came to live with you? She says, yes, you were. And I said, well, didn't you think that was weird? Yeah. What'd you do about it? It's like pulling teeth, you know. Well, we took it to the doctor. I'm like, well, what'd the doctor say? Well, the doctor said we should never tell you. And I says, well, why not? And and she said, because the doctor said if, um, if we didn't tell you, then it would never affect you. I said, obviously it's affecting me. I don't remember when I'm in these states, you know, my husband finds me, I'm in the corner shaking, you know, and I said, obviously it's affecting me. I said, maybe if I know what happened, I could know how to deal with it, you know. Well, she finally right. told me that when to the doctor right after I got there, I was a year old, mom sent me away on my birthday to Minnesota. And uh, she said right after I got there, um, the doctor said my vaginal opening was way too big for a child that age, you know. And I know she didn't use the term sexual abuse, you know, something like you'd already sure. been messed with, or, you know, because they just didn't say those words. And, uh, you know, then then I was really able to get a lot more help. And that's when I finally got diagnosed with multiple personality disorder. And uh, through going to a psychiatrist that understood that and a therapist, um, I ended up uh, finding out I had 31 personalities. And... Uh, that was a 13-year intense, intense uh, psychiatric, uh, in and out of psychiatric wards and everything else. 
Um, and to try to help. integrate, yeah. You know, yeah. but then the thing was is that it, I don't know if it's called integration or what, but basically it was each of those alters getting to tell their story to somebody that believed them. Yeah. Yep. You know, and, yep. and then it went away. <laughs> and that's, you know? that's because every child, the overarching goal is to feel lovable and to yep. be seen and heard. And that's what yep. every student sitting in my classroom is to me, somebody who needs to be yep. seen and heard. Yeah. Matter of fact, I, I have buttons that I hand out. I've got a grassroots organization, and my buttons say, um, children should be seen, heard, and believed. And yeah. and adult survivors see that and they go, boy, I wish, you know, I wish that was what one person believed when I was a kid, you know. Yeah, and I, I try to you know, validated and empathized with. Yeah, and so NASCA has, um, and I want to mention this for any listeners as well, we have a spot on there that, that's called Educating Our Children. And we have information on there for parents or educators or community members that work with children. They can go on there and, and look at things. And Bill Murray, the one that started NASCA, he was um, he was abused by priests. Now his family life was, you know, very nice, very wonderful. He was adopted and loved and all that, but they were real strict Catholics. And so he was going to Catholic church and was, was molested by one of the priests. Um, and uh, he had taken pornography of him and lured him in by, you know, showing him his cameras in his dark room and all that. Well, then he went to um, this other summer program, and uh, there was a priest there that asked him if he ever had a homosexual relationship, and uh, he said yes. And so the priest said, well, tell me about it, and he did. And the priest gave him penance, you know, or, you know, he had to say all these what prayers, I think. And then anyway, so he... Um, then he started abusing him and, and got him into a pet foul ring. So, you know, he thought he was finally going to get help. And when he, you know, he's, he's older, um, he's, he went in AA because there was no help back then. Um, he'll have 40 years coming up. There was no help back then um, for, for boys, men that had grown up and wanted to get help. You know, they didn't know what to do with them. <laughs> So he went to AA and um, um, had a great sponsor, you know, that, that helped him. And the same with me. I was working with a woman in the Battered Women's Shelter who saw me guzzling out of a bottle and asked me if I thought I was an alcoholic. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. I know I'm an alcoholic, but I'm one of those alcoholics that can't get help. You know, I can't be helped. And she said, oh, what kind of alcoholic is that? Because I was totally hopeless, you know, like a hopeless alcoholic. And at 21 years old, I got sober. And I'll be 61. I've got, you know, um, 36 years of sobriety. No, I was 24. I'm sorry. I was 24 when I got sober. But, you know, if I hadn't gotten sober, I'd have never dealt with these issues. So I'm, I'm right. grateful that I found, you know, AA and I found people that, you know, and not everybody in AA is willing to talk about it. Matter of fact, I do. And I've got people coming up to me afterwards saying, you know, I've been trying to get sober. I've been through treatment. Some people eleven times, you know, and and well, you know that's the result of the aces, right? Yeah, yeah, and nobody's talking yeah. about this, and and you know I think if I talk to you, I might be able to just finish sober, you know, and I'll give them my number, yeah. and you know they'll start talking about, and I'll give them the NASCA information, 
and uh, you know we're for adult survivors, not children. But but there is a component where we say you know education and prevention and intervention. Those are our three three things. Yep. You know which covers a lot. Really, really, yep. the website really is amazing. Does. I've been involved with NAFCA for over 10 years, and I don't even know everything on that website. I asked Bill, I says, you know, I says, how'd you know I'll put all that stuff on the website? He says, well, it was everything I wanted to know when, when I started trying to get help, you know. Mm-hmm. And the Blog Talk radio shows for people that don't know, is on five times a week. All the shows are archived, and you can go back and listen to any of the shows. And um, we have a um, Facebook closed group for survivors of abuse, and then we have an open group. Um, on Facebook, that's just NASCA, and NASCA is the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse, and um, we also um, will do presentations and, and things like that in the community. I just moved into my own house, um, and it's the first time I've had stability my whole entire life. Uh, they tried to kick me out of the last place I was in, which was assisted living over my service animal, and uh, um, I spent two years of hell there and uh, put on Facebook that I was giving away all my stuff. And my daughter was the director of a dual dependency program. So that was a red flag to her that, you know, I was suicidal. But I'd been suicidal like five times there. But I never mm-hmm. told anybody because I didn't want to lose my service dog. I knew nobody was going to fight for me to keep them if, if I had gotten mm-hmm. in the cycle, you know, which is really sad. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, my son said, hey, Mom, uh, you know, um, I'm thinking about uh, investing in the property in Minnesota, you know, um, so that you, and you can live there and take care of it for me. And I went, wow, you know, um, I'm glad that I let them know, well, kind of indirectly, you know. Um, but but anyway, I've been living out here now over a year, and I have a whole new life. I've, I've never felt better physically, emotionally, or spiritually because, and I told my oh. son that, and he's really mom. And I said, yeah, Rick, I've never had stability my whole entire life. So I'd have got kicked out of that last place. It'd have been my 20th time homeless, you know. Oh, my goodness. Never any well, and it, again, that cycle just continues. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And my kids, you know, they had no stability because I was in out of sight ward, and I made a decision at one point that I put them in permanent foster care, you know, mm-hmm. and because I couldn't be the mom I wanted to be, and I wasn't the mom they deserved, you know. And and then I started getting better and stuff, and people in AA are going, oh, you're going to get kids back. And I'm like, no, my kids are doing just fine. They're stable, you know, and they're doing real well in school and this and that. And I'll look down yeah. as a bad mom. A bad mom. No. You, know, you don't want your kids back. <laughs> no, yeah. no, that's not how it works. No, that's not how it works. That's part of the coaching that we offer, too. It's for people that have mm-hmm. foster kids or um, adopted kids or um, – you know, just just mm-hmm. those situations where you might might not know what the background is of the the child, or you might know the background and don't know how to help mm-hmm. them. But the way that the way that we teach parents to connect with them and build that relationship, and I don't care who you are, um, if you are not connected with your birth parents, it is a trauma. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. And even if your parents are the ones who are harming you, you still mm-hmm. have a connection with them. That is, uh, 
it's not a connection that ever goes away. If you lose a parent to death or mm-hmm. incarceration or any other type of thing, that type of trauma comes out in all types of behaviors. And um, that's something that we work with parents to, or foster parents or adoptive parents or mm-hmm. whoever um, might need the support in mm-hmm. helping them understand that this kid their brain is storing this information in a way that you can't access it. So we have to mm-hmm. work with what's on the surface to get at what's beneath it. Um, help them understand what's happening in their brain and just acknowledge that they're, they're, they're valid. Their feelings yeah. are valid. And I know I talk to a lot of parents too that, you know, they're, they're struggling with their kids and stuff. And I say, why aren't you doing a parenting class? And, and they'll say, oh, everybody's going to think I'm a bad parent if I join a parenting class or, you know, nope. that, you know, that was fine when I was a kid. So, you know, it's fine what I'm doing with my kid. And I'm like, you know, if if things aren't working out, you know, it's okay to say I need help. It's okay. Well, you know, that, and that again, mean the parent's role is to support and, yeah. yeah, the parent's role is to support and guide their kids as they become capable in their own right. And we're, we're, we believe that parents are doing the best they can with the tools they have. The tools they have might not be the right tools. Right. Stop trying to right. nail and I know a lot of the nail. Have a lot of regrets, and I tell them, you know, the thing about regrets is you did the best you could with the information you had yep. at the time. You know, and just and stop cool. beating yourself up. I said because yeah. shame is just going to drag you down. You know, I said, oh, yeah. you know, I was given bad information and outright lie to do. <laughs> you know? So how do you expect oh, yeah. me to, you know, like, just like if, you know, nobody taught me how to cook, which I didn't, you know, my grandma was a great cook, but she never, you know, get out of the kitchen, you're in my way. You know, so I never knew <laughs> how to cook. And I would always say I'm a bad cook, you know, and, and uh, people would either say, oh, yeah, well, me, you know, I don't cook very well either, or I'm a really great cook, and I cook this, that, the other thing. Well, I told one of my workers that one time, and she goes, well, you know, Dana may teach you to cook, and I told her about my grandma kicking me out of the kitchen, and, you know, you're, you're so beautiful, you'll just get a rich husband and have a maid and all that, you know, bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, well, and, you know uh, um, past behavior is not a predictor of future success. Yeah, and so she said, you know, she said, um, um, "Well, how do you expect to know how to do uh, to know how to cook if nobody ever taught you?" And so that's kind right. of the basis I look at things is, you know, yeah, you know, I wish I could do this or that. Well, you know, I can learn. There's the internet now. You could just Google, you know, how, how do you make yeah. French toast? You know, uh, we didn't have well, that. And you before. can also you can also Google how to be a a good parent. And there's that's a true. whole lot of good stuff out there. And I guess that was my point is that, you know, so I just tell people kind of that story and say, you know, how do you expect, you know, to know how to be a good parent if you weren't parented in a positive way? And there's the joke, the the age-old joke of, oh, kids don't come with a manual. But you know what? Being a parent does need some training. It's not. It's not a natural thing, and it hasn't been passed down from generation to generation because what your parents yeah. did is not what yeah. we should continue to do. Right, right. And, you know, that's the other thing that, you know, we, we try to let um, uh, people know is that, um, you know, there's information out there um, on, you know, improving skills as a parent. 
Yeah. And uh, yeah. it's the parents' and there's responsibility. Coaches to help you. <laughs> right, right. And I didn't know they even had that in schools. You know, I know they always had PTA, but those are just a bunch of people that sat around and made rules. As far as I was concerned, you know, they just voted on whether or not they should have certain things in the school and not spend the money. And uh, when I found out um, with my grandchild that um, my daughter um, got them into um, into some um, therapist at school, I was just amazed that there was therapy in the school. You know, I just was like, really? You know, it kind of blew me away because we never, you know, had anything like that. So, you know, I do see some positives. Um you know, and, and I think that gives us hope as um, adult survivors, yeah. you know, for intervening with our grandchildren or say we're aunts or uncles or, or friends of families, whatever, that we could say, hey, you know, it's important to take advantage of the resources that are out there. Yes, 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 yes. Yep. We're getting better. We're not done yet. Oh, we'll, a lot we'll of work to do, so. You know, and people say, when does stop talking about your child abuse and child abuse, you know, and I've had people tell me, quit putting on my page and stuff. Well, I just unfriend them. But, you know, <laughs> because my page, <laughs> you know, and, and anyway, yeah. I, you know, I, I always say, well, I'm writing about what's important to me. And uh, if this isn't important to you, go back and post pictures of your lunch, you know. <laughs> sure. Right. And, you know, right. I've had a lot of people tell me I should quit talking about it in AA. And I go to Alan on too. And, and I said, you know what, I'll quit talking about it. And they just lean in. They can't wait to hear when I'm going to quit talking about it. And I said, as soon as nobody comes up, up to me after a meeting or during the week and says, I'm glad somebody's talking about it. And I've had men and women come well, up to me, you know. And here's why it needs to continue to be talked about. Your our, our, all of our brains are wired in a way that is going to always try to keep us alive, right? And every type of a threat is potentially going to be the end of us, right? So yeah. if, if our primary purpose is survival, which is what our brain believes it's doing, mm-hmm. and we don't address it, we're not, we're not allowing the person to, to survive, um, not being heard, not being listened to, not being validated, not being understood is all part of that survival. And that's what kids are telling us every single day. See yeah. me, see me, see me. If you don't, I'm not going to survive. The letting yeah. your baby cry it out doesn't work mm-hmm. because the kid no. needs to know that you're going to be there, that they're going to yeah. survive. Hey, yeah. if your kid constantly gets a response every time you um, – so every time they throw a temper tantrum, you respond with rage. At yeah. least they know they've been seen. Yep. But maybe yep. what if your response to them was to sit on the floor with them and hold their hand and say, I know this is really frightening for you. You must be really mad right now. I can see mm-hmm. you're really upset. What if yep. that was our response instead of yeah. freaking out on them? Then the child would still be seen. And guess what? Yeah. They wouldn't have to have that response to be seen the next time. What if instead right. of waiting for them to do something wrong and saying no, what if our response mm-hmm. as a parent or an educator was to notice every time they did something that we love? Right. Then they right. would be seen for doing the things that we appreciate. Oh, my gosh, when you came home from school, I watched you put your bag on the hook and hang your coat up. That makes me feel so proud because I know that you are growing up to be a responsible young person. 
Right. Right. What if that was I know that we did of, yeah, with with my son and, and my daughter hopefully too. Um, we you know, we started focusing on giving praise and, and trying to ignore, you know, the negative stuff. You know, so like you said, even the even the simplest thing, I'm really glad when you came home from school that that you said one good thing about your day, you know. I'm really yeah. happy to hear yeah. that, you know, and, and be open to, you know, if anything negative went on in your day, you know, I want to hear about that too. Because we start and if anybody is listening that works their with rules, yeah. yeah, you know, then, then they're going to they're gonna come to us when they get older with issues. You know, if, if we shut them down when they're little, that's what they learn, you know. Yeah. And yeah. my mom would always joke and say, yeah, when you guys were babies, I couldn't handle your screaming and your crying and, and that so I just put liquor in your bottle, you know, and she thought that was really funny. So that but says when you think that about they're it, not, <laughs> nope, that says they're the not, they don't. Yeah, and then you're giving them you're, liquor. Well, you're the reason for their discomfort, and then it yeah. shuts you down. And no child should be responsible for that. No. And I, your I didn't know I didn't know how to even accept love, you know, right? because it wasn't it wasn't given. So, you know, when when somebody said they loved me, I assumed that meant that I owed them, <laughs> because that was always the message I got. I love you, therefore you owe me. See, that's just every interaction is either drawing a child closer or pushing them further away. So, and we know that they store these messages, and it's our job mm-hmm. to help them co-regulate, not to dismiss or invalidate their emotions even mm-hmm. if the emotions are hard for us that's not our, yeah. our job is not to dismiss them in any way they need us yeah and i want to i want to give a message to um to anybody that's a adult child of um you know um child abuse or neglect that you know these these messages can be you know relearned if you have these feelings of not being able to trust people um, feeling really bad about yourself, feeling suicidal, feeling like you don't deserve, you know, happiness, then there is help out there. You know, um, don't think that just because these things happen that nothing is ever going to change. You know, we got to continue mm-hmm. to have hope. And when when I got into AA, I was totally hopeless. And my sponsor believed in me. Yeah, I would say she loved me before I could love myself. And And that was really important to just have somebody even going to therapy yeah you know it was paid for and everything and that person was professional but you know what she cared me. she showed up every week for me and and Mm -hmm. when I was in that intense therapy I was going twice a week you know and it was really a struggle it's not easy work you know I would say being sober and drug-free is the easy part you know living life on life's terms that that's when it becomes difficult and that's, you know, you, you get phone numbers from people when you go to meetings. You get, um, you can go on NASCA, and we have one that's the ambassadors for many different states, but you can call anybody on that list, whether they're in your state or not. And you can call them mm-hmm. up, my number's on there, and you can call them up and, and just talk to them. And we have resources, and we have a peer support group um, three times a week for adult survivors. And um, we have the Blog Talk radio shows where we're constantly giving you information. You can call in, 
Um, and I don't know, Andy, do you want to give out the number again for people? And just so everybody knows, it's Monday through Friday nights, and uh, we're, we're here to talk about what you want to talk about. I'll give the number again, sure. It's 646-595-2118. Andy, do you have any questions or comments about what we've been talking about? I- I do. I have a couple of questions and comments. Um, I wanted, Teresa, I wanted to tell you an idea I have and see what you think about it. I think that we okay. should have a phone number. There is a phone number that any child can call at any time. It's one eight hundred four child And I think that we should put that phone number in every bathroom, in every school. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a no-brainer. To empower them, you know, that there's somebody that's They have that's their phones to... with them all the time. Right. For sure. Right. You know, it okay, could I'm even be a idea. QR code. It could, it could even be a QR code. Well, there you and it go. Now, right to QR a site that has more what's information. A QR, what's a QR code? I'm an old lady. I don't know what half this stuff means. (laughs) (laughs) No, no problem at all. I'm speaking kid speak. Um, So a QR code is like the little symbols that you see that look like a digital kind of uh, symbol. And if they use their phone to take a, take a picture essentially is what it what it does. It can take them to a website or to um, a location that has information. So even if they're not ready to make a phone call yet, perhaps it could Mm -hmm. take them to some information to, or if they know someone who, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be for the one who might feel they need it. They might have a friend and know something that nobody else knows and not know what to do with that information. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I know there's been a lot of kids that have helped other kids. You know, um, yep. I don't know if you know about the first uh, child abuse case, but it was, um, I was called, uh, Mary Ellen Wilson was her name. And uh, um, she was being severely abused, and a, a missionary had found out about it, and and anyway, through the whole thing, intervened, and they didn't have child protection, but they had they had uh, animal protection, <laughs> which is kind of sad. But um, anyway, um, that that uh, missionary didn't know what to do, and so her daughter said, or no, her niece said, um, you know. Um, well, you know, they have laws to protect animals. Maybe, you know, they should have laws to protect kids. So the aunt went to the Animal um, Humane Society and and got them to intervene as the child was an animal, you know, a human animal. Mm-hmm. And that's how child protection started. And, you know, we hear about the the name of the woman um, that um, helped, helped the girl. We know about the guy who was the head of the Humane Society. But we don't know the name of the little girl, and I think the little girl is the one that should be getting recognition because she's the one that really, you know, brought it to light that here's the answer, you know. Well, I want to yeah, know that the heroes in that story. Yeah, and and uh, the first time I ever saw it on um, YouTube, it was called um, "The Stranger Who Cared," and now there's a whole bunch of them, and there's a book even. Um, the first one was called The Stranger Who Cared, and the girl that did it was doing it for a high school project. And I like that yeah. one better. It's a shorter one, but it's it's more powerful to me because the other one's a kind of documentary type things, you know. 
but this one is a girl in high school that was doing a project that you can feel the emotion of her looking at the story, you know, and, and mm. to me, that is a lot, was a lot more effective um, for me to listen to because it was like the stranger who cared and that was the missionary course, but it was the little girl who cared as far as I'm concerned because right after that, then there started to be more investigation into that story and then it became a book. But it began with, with a high school student that, that researched this, of how child protection became um, in, in uh, America, you know. Wow. Very interesting to me. That's phenomenal. That is very interesting, yeah. Yeah. I think one of my favorite quotes um, was from Dr. Nadine Burke, um, who wrote The Deepest Well. She said in that book, we're all equally susceptible and equally in need of help when adversity strikes. Oh, this yeah. isn't a them versus us problem. This is a we problem. This is something that we all we all need to face. We all we all need to be in in the mix because it affects everybody. So right, 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 exactly, exactly, and that's that's why NASCA offers. To anybody who's interested in even curious about child abuse and neglect, to come on the website and and just look them over, um, because it's not just for adult survivors of child abuse; it's for everybody that cares about about children, about keeping children yeah. safe, or are just curious yeah. about what happens to a kid that's been abused. You know, there's stories on there. You know, um, I did a um, YouTube video on. Um, being used in uh, prostitution because January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Um, mm-hmm. April is Child Abuse Awareness and Prevention Month. October is Domestic Violence and Awareness Month, and it all just kind of wraps together. You know, it, yes, it's it basically, is. you know, a passion of all sorts, you know, um, power and control. It's it's all those things. And, we, you know, everybody, when I say, you know, let's, let's get together and look at our commonalities rather than our differences. You know, we don't compare yes. stories of NASCA. We say, you know, child abuse is wrong, should not have happened to anybody, you know. Mm-hmm. And and when you come from that standpoint, instead of my story's worse than yours or mine's better than yours or, you know, I was more abused or less abused or, you know, um, I have people that say to me, oh, my God, your story. You know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't abused like that and, you know, I don't. <laughs> Almost like I don't deserve sure. to tell my story, you know, because it's not a, you mm-hmm. know, a big story or whatever, you know, but we get so sensationalized by what's on the news with these big stories and, and the stories, they're all important. Everybody has a story. Everybody and, has and a story. all be validated. Yeah. Yes. Ten minutes left. So, um, Teresa, I'm going to let you uh, um, let us know what what is, you know, what is our hope for the future and uh, what kind of things might be in the works or some things you'd like to see um, happening? Oh, um, we just need more people trained to practice these methods. Um, I'm happy to say that I'm hearing more and more that uh, trauma-informed educators are 
uh, it's becoming a thing. There's um, conferences about being a trauma-informed educator, having a trauma-informed classroom, helping build students' self-esteem. Um, suicide prevention is part of the requirements for Minnesota teachers uh, that we have to have so much, so many hours of PD, professional development. Um, restorative practices are coming more into play versus punishment. Um, mm -hmm. We're starting to teach educators how to practice regulation strategies, co-regulation strategies. Um, we're looking at the culture of schools um, and hoping that bringing parents in as partners will help to continue to um, support kids in becoming fully developed human beings. I think um, I, uh, I, I don't know if anybody's ever talked about the, the idea of Ubuntu. Um, Ubuntu is the, the idea that I exist because we are, I am because we are. I don't exist in isolation. I exist as part of the community. And mm -hmm. as community, we need to support when one hurts, we all hurt. When one celebrates, we all celebrate. And the idea of Ubuntu is my hope beacon. It's my um, hope that that we can come together as community of Ubuntu and, and practice these. Um, acceptance isn't the right word, but these um, validating and loving ways we're called to love and that's really where we need to sit <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and then also um i was wondering you mentioned that that education part of it so is that something that the teachers um need to pick up on i mean it's something that say every year they yep. uh, uh to go to some trainings or is that yep we have to have so many hours every five years when we get licenses renewed. Yep. Okay. So there's lots of. And uh, how old or how much? Um, what does that entail? Well, it depends on. Um, so I think we have. It's not a ton, but uh, like an hour for trauma, an hour for positive behavior intervention. Um, couple hours for like suicide prevention, um, mental health, early intervention. Um, and a lot of these sessions um, focus on working with kids rather than trying to fix them, trying to be mm -hmm. with them, to, to work through them. It's a, it's a very different perspective than it was back in the day. Um, our yeah. job as educators is not there's the you know even some arguments about well teachers should stay be responsible for the education part and let the parenting stay with the parents and that's not how it is anymore we we're all working on the same thing we all have a common end goal here um right so it's so bringing um, compassion what can you say about early intervention in like the lower grades Oh, um, 
I mean, yeah, we, we just, we need to, we need to do that. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to get it everywhere. I wish I could like stand on a mountaintop and shout about how important this is. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm one person and I know that there's you're on, a handful you're of us. You're on our mountaintop. You're on our mountaintop tonight. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I just, we as teachers and educators need to intervene. We need to get involved. We need to know what it looks like. We need to know about what a crisis looks like. We need to know what a traumatized child looks like. We need to know when it's just a child that needs help regulating their emotions. We need to understand how the brain works. We need to understand how fear plays out in their little brains as they're developing these (laughs) critical years. We need to know as educators, how to bring a child back to equilibrium. We need to know how to practice reflective listening. We need to know how to uh, adapt our methods to meet the sensory needs of a child who's maybe having a panic attack or hyperventilating or um, we, we, need, we just need to know. And when we know more, we can do better. So do you think um, being a parent, uh, Teresa, has put a different perspective maybe, too, on uh, you being a teacher? That's a tough question, only because I don't know which was first, the chicken or the egg. I became an an educator because my kids did not have a wonderful experience in school, and I thought, okay, well – as a parent, I can stand on the outside and be mad about it, right. or I can get involved and get educated mm-hmm. and get get into the mix of things and do something about it. So yeah. now I'm on the side of I'm I'm in the Go mix after. of it. I'm doing something about it. Yeah. So I think. Um, Yes. That's what I tell a lot of adults, you know, just, they say, oh, kids these days, kids these days, you know, and I said, oh, you know, no. if you're upset about the way kids are acting these days, get something going in the neighborhood, get something going in your community, you know, be proactive, and if it's not there for, you know, if the kids are acting yeah. this way or acting out, whatever, there, there's a reason, so they don't have a positive thing in their area, so start one, you know, and, and right. put that back right. on them. To, you know, yeah. if you want to make a difference, um, you've got to take some action. You can't just sit around and say, oh, the news is bad, that's horrible, kids are being abused, or that's horrible, families are having such a hard time. You know, what can you do? And, uh, you know, to take that yeah. responsibility. And for me, it's not only learning to love myself, but learning how to love other people and spreading that love out into the world. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's there's a lot of us who powerful information that we'd love to put into hands of parents or guardians who are working hard to help the kids who have a lot of trauma that they need to work through. And that's not enough. There's more we can always do. So, right. I have an idea for you, Teresa, how you can put this information into more hands. You could be a podcaster and every week do a lesson on how we should be parents. Uh, 
information um we we'd love to have yeah. um guests come back and uh because sometimes after a show you might think well we should have said that or that or invite other people um you will get a link of the show that you could share with um other people that you know that these are archived shows and let them know hey i did you know i was on this show and uh that, that is really helpful that they, you know, I might get a parent that says, wonder what the schools are doing or adult survivor child abuse, wonder what the schools are doing. Oh, here, it's the link for, you know, when we have Teresa Anderson on. Um, and yeah, she's got a lot of good information, you know. And so we can pass this information around when we hear a podcast or we hear, say, you know, like you quoted a book or a phrase or whatever. You know, we need to continue to share this information. Because there is a lot yeah. of information out there, and sometimes we get information overload. Um, but I look exactly. at um, yeah. podcast for child abuse, and um, the top 30 ones popped up. And NASCO was the number one podcast for, wow. for child abuse Yay. information. I know. Um, Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, celebrate that. That's wonderful. Well, that's about the time. Our time is just about up, so I did want to say thank you to everybody. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you, Teresa. And thank you to the audience for listening tonight. NASCAR's radio show is here five days a week, Monday through Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern. And you can find out more about NASCAR at the website naasca.org. So God bless adult children. God bless all the children of the world.